0: The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett, there are six books in the series, and they follow the protagonist, Charles Bloom, through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. Had one of my favorite people who I've known for 30 years on today, Bill Shank, also known as Billy Famous. He's an interesting cat. You're not going to believe all the stuff that he's done in his life goes from being a really cowboy to an individual who works with Andy Warhol at the factory and how he became one of the pillars of contemporary Western pop imagery. He, along with people like Luis Jimenez and Fritz Scholder, really kind of set the bar. Uh, the other two are no longer with us, so Billy shares his whole life he got to the point where he is now, which is in 54 museum collections. So, this is one of the unique podcasts and not one to miss. Billy famous. <laughs> How did you get Billy famous, anyway? Uh, this is Bill was, Chang, by the way, we have on the art. Around
1: 1980, we were always hanging around the front desk at uh, Elaine Horowitz Gallery and Rudy Fernandez and Julie Saucy, and I can't remember who else in the staff and some of the artists. It just started coming up with nicknames. It started with Rudy saying, calling me Billy Snake Lips. And then I thought, <laughs> That's oh, not a very good one. No. I don't like that one at all. <laughs> and then there was Billy Shank, or no, Billy Snake. And then there was St. Shanks. And finally, I somehow I got it twisted around to where, how about Billy Famous?
0: Yeah, you like that. And right? I
1: thought, oh, this fits uh-huh. much, much better. And so that and, was like early 80s? Yeah, around 1980, 81. And actually, I had it in mind that... Um, Using the name Billy at all, there is this character who is a photographer that uh, had lived for a while in the factory in the bathroom, and
0: the factory being Andy Warhol. Uh, yeah, factory.
1: right. Sorry about that. That's okay. and, we'll get um, to that part. Today, don't worry. And I remember, you know, reading some interview or whatever. Somebody knocked on the door because somebody was always in the bathroom, and they opened the door. Doing what, by the way? <laughs> Nothing. Just okay. living there. Oh, I see. <laughs> and the guy answered and. He said, who are, who are you? And there was just this big pause. And the guy said, Billy Name. And that was a photographer. He's still alive. And his name,
0: uh, he went by Billy Name? Yeah.
1: I mean, he just didn't
0: use his real yeah. name. And I like that. So I dropped his name and I put see. Famous <laughs> in his place and became Billy Famous. Right. Well, you've done some books that have kind of put that on there, too, haven't you? Uh, At least um, one, I think, you yeah, had Billy Famous. On that. Yeah, I did. Uh, the chronology yeah.
1: of, of my life. when I the was the associate book for um, the 2012 Shank in the 21st Century.
0: Yeah, so we just kind of jumped into it with Billy Famous, Billy Shank. So <laughs> I've got Billy Shank here today. I've known Billy for 30 years, I think. Uh, that pretty close about right. to yeah. So we, I knew him a lot longer, even before I started showing his work, because he's a great collector. He buys and sells occasionally. Now he just. Works. You were still practicing medicine? I was still, I and think you yeah. Were, yeah. You were buying rugs and prehistoric pots and just well, other never stuff? never prehistoric. I never did prehistoric. In 88, 89? No, nope, just historics. I always liked historics. I left oh. that to other people. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, I like, I like I, and the new pots. I always liked the new pots. I had right. a lot of Marias at that time and uh-huh. all the name people because I grew up in New Mexico and I knew all those ladies. So I would go and buy things from the potters. But so guess, let's just wind this back. Past okay. 30 years. Let's go back to say, hmm, how about where were you born? Because you're a Western kid, I know that, but you're not a Western kid. Legend has it, yeah, legend. Has bo-
1: it. Legend has it that I was born in Two Guns, Arizona. Okay, well we could leave it at that if
0: you like. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's what the legend has. Okay, to. and so you grew, but basically you, your whole life you felt like a Western kid. I did because I spent
1: uh, a lot of my summers growing up in Lander, Wyoming, no, and okay. that was always where my heart was, it still is. Uh, it's just always been home now, Why Lander, me. how did you end up there? Uh, I was living with my mother's brother, my uncle. Okay. He, had, he was a newspaper owner, uh, and I used to call him the lone liberal voice of Wyoming.
0: And how, what age group was that, that you were living with your um, mother's brother?
1: Well, I think the first, first time my father was still alive, I, we were there in 52, 51. Somewhere around So, there. and
0: how old were you approximately then? Uh,
1: about five.
0: I oh. turned five in
1: Albuquerque. Oh,
0: okay. I remember,
1: well, in Living I, there? I, no, we were passing through, but I just remember we went from Albuquerque <laughs> to Acoma. What a funny uh, memory. <laughs> well, Acoma was really, I That's mean, that was why. a radical departure from anything I'd ever seen, because yeah. we literally climbed up, you know, the rocks, uh, and there were still, you know, all these... Uh, Akama Natives, you know, wearing blankets. Yeah. And it was in August. My birthday is August 19th. And I thought, wow, this is America. This is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. And I can remember the vast skies, the, the, you know, the clouds out there that yeah. just went to it's infinity. It's pretty unbelievable on top so of that. So that Amazing. memory stuck with me. I mean, that was my first Southwestern memory. And then that same Did summer. Did you guys
0: buy any pots while you were up there? Did your dad or mom buy Not pots? that trip. Yeah.
1: No. No. Um, no. But it was something similar to that is how we got started with Prehistoric
0: uh-huh. Pottery. So when you, so you're five, you're going to do that. What did your dad do? What did your dad and mom well, do? Well, my
1: um, my father had uh, just kind of started the constru- in construction business. The first suburbs after World War II were being built, and he was in the middle of that uh, so around he, 1947, Was 48. he
0: just building, or was he also investing and doing the whole kind of... I don't know because he died just as he was breaking even. Oh, wow. How old were you when he passed away? Uh, Not quite six. Oh, so that was super traumatic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that must have changed your whole world.
1: Well, yeah, since I witnessed him being killed, yes.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's unbelievable. Well, we can talk about it or we don't
1: have to. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: depends how deep you want to go, Bill.
1: <laughs> uh, we could spend hours here <laughs> with that. But, no, it did alter my universe. It altered the way um, I perceived the world. There's no way it couldn't. Yeah,
0: you know? and life probably too. Yeah. And so that stays with you, I would assume. Yep. And so when so he passes away. You're six. <clears throat> your guys are out I, in yeah. Lander, Wyoming. Well, that then time? when I
1: started coming back to Lander— Uh, I think when I was around 7 and 8, you know, and all through my grade school years. um, 2 Let's see, freshman, sophomore, junior years of high school. Even as I was in art school at Kansas City, I would come back out. And was your mom, did
0: she stay single or did she get married again? No,
1: she remarried. Um, This is something that I actually have not made public in any of my books or anything. But when I was 7, she married... um, a a guy who was a TV um, cowboy star. I mean, he was... And this was in Ohio uh, at the time. He had the most popular TV show in the entire state, and it was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so all the kids would come home. Yeah, And he... What do you call it? Emceed for... The Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and Hopalong Cassidy. Right, so folks. he
0: would kind of come in and talk about them before the. Yeah, the, and they the TV had you know, a, a
1: TV set, and it was, you know, like a log cabin, and he, you know, had, um, you know, the whole regalia of, right. uh, what do you call it, the pinstriping uh-huh. shirts and twin Colt 45 pro handle, yeah. he had a white horse <laughs> and all that stuff. So that kind of. I guess really did have an impact on me. Oh, sure. And I've never admitted that because he was such a monster of a human being. Yeah. Uh, So those were 10 really dark years for me. But the irony is I kept coming back to that Western image that he had
0: planted in my brain. And so you're about seven when she marries and he stays, he's in your life until you're 17? Yeah. Until you can escape the house, basically?
1: Yep, that's what I did. I broke the family up. Yeah. I left home... Uh, at the end of my junior year and uh, was headed back out to Wyoming to, to live with my mother's brother. And I just um, made an ultimatum. It's either him or me. Adios. Yeah. And I didn't wait for an answer. I left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was some anger there. <laughs> yeah. yeah there was some, definitely. Anger.
0: Were you making art yet at that time?
1: Yeah, I was just beginning to. Um, I mean, I'd always drawn... Uh, from the time I was a little kid, since before I could remember. And uh, again, you know, the irony during grade school was my teachers naively thought I was making notes and paying attention. <laughs> and I had my notebook open, and all I was doing was doodling and drawing and wasn't paying attention to anything uh-huh. they were teaching uh-huh. at all. Then I got serious about making art uh, when I was 16. and um, What clicked that, do you think? I don't know. Um, I was in high school, of course, and there was uh, this woman uh, who taught art classes, and prior to that, it was never brought up in my house uh, or even considered, but I thought um, I would try doing that. I had ulterior motives. I didn't have even a C average uh, in high school, and I was afraid of not graduating, And beyond that, I thought, how am I ever going to get accepted to a college? So I thought, I'll get an art class. I know I can ace this. So I did. And I was uh, immediately drawn to, you know, learning how to draw formally. I mean, for real. I mean, all I had been doing was cartooning. All of my influences were from Donald Duck comic books and Mad Magazine. Um, And so I was just tracing and imitating cartoons. It never occurred to me there was any such thing as fine art. I didn't right. know what that meant. Your that big concern
0: time. was, I need to get into some kind of college. Yeah, which I didn't. Yeah. I
1: uh, wasn't accepted uh, to anywhere where we applied. My mother drove me all over Indiana, all over the state of Ohio to her college where she had gone to school. and, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, So finally, as a last resort, I took it upon myself, uh, without her guidance, and I applied to an art school that was in downtown Columbus, Ohio. Hmm. And I had a bit of a portfolio because I've been taking these art classes in uh, high school. And um, they accepted me. So I remember when I came home that afternoon, I, my mother was there, I guess she was teaching. And uh, I said, wow, there must be um, something wrong with that art school, it can't be too good. They accepted me. Mm-hmm. Well, what did she say? <laughs> well, she thought that was an upside-down, backward kind of attitude. But
0: anyway— Was she okay with it? Oh, she, yeah. She actually—my she. Actually, she
1: uh, my mother was very good about backing whatever direction either my my brother and I took at all. Uh, she was very good about that.
0: And your brother, was he younger or older?
1: He was uh, three years younger. Uh-huh. But, for example, I mean, I stayed at um, uh, the Columbus College of Art and Design for two years, and I transferred— The credits to kansas city art institute which um was maybe still is among the top half dozen art schools in the country and that was really her influence if you're going to whatever your endeavors were Mm -hmm. get to the best place for that kind of education you can my brother and i were both interested in archaeology paleontology as little kids but my brother became stayed more serious with it so um He originally was going to be uh, a paleontologist, so the University of Wyoming. That was the school. They have so much dinosaurs there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he eventually changed his major, but that's why he went to the University. And what did he end up doing? Uh, He ended up uh, in education, the same as my mom. Yeah. And then he eventually got a uh, PhD and and is a neuroscientist. Oh, (laughs) wow. And he writes
0: books and... Um, lectures you, well you write books and you lecture that's true I do. we do <laughs> and other things too which we'll talk about like right. winning belt buckles for championships. <laughs> and rugby, right. but we're not there yet so you go to you go to the first school yeah and then a couple of years later you transfer to the Kansas City yeah Art Institute right Jeff Haling went there too as well I don't know if you knew that yep Jeff? Ailing. He's one of our artists in here. Oh. He's the, the show right now that's up. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. He was. What years was he there? Oh, God. It, was, it would have been way after you. Yeah. It would have been in, like, yeah. 82 or something like that. Susan
1: Klotz Riley, who was an abstract kind of artist in uh, Phoenix, was also at Kansas City on its suit, I think, just a uh, year before me or a year after.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? So you're in school what years yeah. did you start or were you at Kansas City Art Institute
1: uh, well Kansas City from the fall of 1967
0: until uh, the winter semester of 1969 okay and so and then you graduate from there yeah and then what about Vietnam because it's going blasting on right at that that's point
1: that's true um, well a couple things happened one 1965 I was the first class to get um, drafted. Uh, the spring of 65, and a lot of the kids I grew up with uh, volunteered, some were drafted. I already had a sixth instinct about this is not the right time or place for me with this war. I didn't believe in it, but I didn't have any real focused ideas Mm -hmm. about that notion. It was just an instinct, and plus, I was animated about really getting started with this voyage of you know Art. becoming an artist. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. But uh, I also knew my own history. Uh, I didn't get along with authority figures. I didn't get along with rules. I, d- <laughs> uh, I thought, boy, the Army, wow, it's, this is going to be a tough one.
0: <laughs> 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 but you could get a student
1: deferment, yes. you know. Right. So um, uh, as long as I stayed in school, I was safe right. for those four years. Yeah. Although we did do kamikaze stuff. There was uh, four of us. There was a group of people one semester after another that were transferring from Columbus College of Art and Design and going out to Kansas City. So we already had peers and friends that had preceded us. And uh, my closest mentor then at Columbus College of Art and Design was Stanley Whitney, and he was a year ahead of me. And uh, so when he decided to go to Kansas City, I stayed that my second year in Columbus and then followed him out there. So we all had interviews with the dean. Of, we were all in the painting department, or wanted to be in the painting department. And like real idiots, <clears throat> we smoked a bunch of dope and dropped acid an hour before we went into the interviews. Uh-huh. So it Could was be a good thing.
0: Just depends. Pff,
1: it was a major challenge. And plus, our lives on the line. If we don't get accepted to school, and we're out of right. school, you're okay, going to Vietnam. You're going to Vietnam exactly. Yeah. Why would, so do you know why you did it? Was yeah, it like it was, a dare kind of thing? I You'd wanted it? the stakes
0: higher. You wanted the stakes higher. <laughs> you got it higher. Yeah, I did. And how did the interview go? I, we got swimmingly. in swimmingly. <laughs> yes, <but> I guess. <laughs> I have no idea.
1: I do. You know. I just by the end of the interview. I mean, I was just trying to contain myself from not hallucinating. Just.
0: Did you have long hair and all that? Were um, you that not really 60? long hair.
1: I mean, I had you know longish, but not long, like down on my shoulders. Oh, so or was this like
0: sixty-seven? Yeah, sixty-seven. Exactly. So you get in. You go, you do your two years, you right. get your degree, but right. Vietnam's still going That's on true. you're still drafted. You're right. You're absolutely so.
1: right. So uh, what had happened between my la- my uh, first semester um, senior year and my last semester, I had for really what was all, what you would call now, a, a nervous breakdown. So I was in a uh, mental institution uh, in May and part of June, uh, and I was labeled as a... Um, Paranoid schizophrenic with homicidal tendencies mm. so when I graduated and they always gave you a form every year right. uh, is there a reason why you think you shouldn't be drafted so I would just give them my medical report just right. copies of it right never heard from them again yeah not a word <laughs> <laughs> so I was in New York I was twenty one uh, we what moved to New York
0: what an odd thing to give you as a description because you're Clearly well, not that in any form or fashion. Where right? I can't imagine. <laughs> well, I haven't killed anybody yeah. yet. <laughs> you seem <laughs> to always paranoid. Kind of be an, you're on an, an even. i not. You're always at a high even keel, but you're always on an even keel. <clears throat> I'm more for, grounded. For thirty years, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely more grounded than. But
1: it was a great description. Yeah, you, you know, and as as I go through the decades and build, you know, legacy as an right. artist. That doesn't hurt.
0: (laughs) Your Van Gogh moment. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So you're 69. You escaped the draft. Right. um, And then you go directly to New York? Yep. Uh, We
1: were in New York. I was married uh, to my high school sweetheart. And uh, I just literally right after Christmas, I mean, January 1st or 2nd, we
0: drove to New York. And what were your goals? What did you think would happen? You got this degree. You probably clearly have shown aptitude for art and, and doing yeah. what you're doing. You're doing painting at this point? Yeah. Okay, So what I, kind of painting? Well... Is it figurative or...? It
1: was, yeah, it was... Uh, from Kansas City on, it was always figurative, and it was very, very uh, influenced by Francis Bacon. Mm. So I was doing triptychs of suited cedar uh, business figures, and we were trying to emulate whatever lifestyle that we imagined... An artist. Fran- be. Or yeah, Francis Francis Bacon. bacon. Oh, that's a so fun. we are you know, so my little Posse and I were always, you know, way into the dark side. And I think that's really what led to a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I mean, it's it just I, I kinda got my my red badge of courage. I I you know, passed the insanity test. Yeah. Now I'm on the other side and now I'm no longer even interested in you know, doing post Francis Bacon style paintings I'm not even interested in that lifestyle I've you know tasted madness just yeah. enough to know
0: Ooh, I, I need to pull back yeah Uh, so you know because you feel it in his paintings I mean his paintings <coughs> oh are, god yeah I mean those faces or something and were you it's trying true. to emulate that same kind of thing in well your... I was
1: interested yeah, yeah in the emotional content yeah okay I mean I was the painters that I was I gravitated towards art historically you know, people like Van Gogh, um, Goya, Shyam um, Satine, Egon Schiele, um, and there was, you know, others, but, you know, always with a huge emotional mm-hmm. impact. Uh, impact, exactly. Yeah. But then I had to back off, like I said. So uh, when I got to New York, um, I'm going to wind that back. The yeah. very first person that I had encountered as an artist. Was Andy Warhol, and I had worked briefly for Warhol uh, in the spring of nineteen sixty six when he was sponsoring the Velvet Underground.
0: So, and where was that did in New did, York? Oh, so in sixty six, I was in New York you, briefly. So you were in art school, but you went ahead and yep. went to New York mm-hmm. to.
1: And I, you know, I was broke. I didn't have any way to get back to school. Right. And Fortunately, I ran into somebody I knew, and said, "That's not a problem. I can get you a job with Warhol." And I said, "You gotta be out of your mind." He said, no,pe. Let's. And I had a car, yeah. so we drove over to the Lower East Side to the Dom, where, which was the Polish American Embassy, and Andy had rented that um, for a month, um, and he just put the developments the in there. So I just became, you know, a gopher for those guys, and just, you know, helping any anywhere I could.
0: Eighteen years old, and you know, like. Whew,
1: <laughs> yeah, these people are way way over my head.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah you're 18 and it's 66. Yeah, 60, yeah. So he's really hitting his stride now, yeah. pretty big time, right? And what was he like? Well, Andy with me, I mean, it was there was just absolutely no dialogue
1: because he didn't know me. He was yeah. really honestly shy around people yes. that he didn't know. I mean, I only knew that he was a talkaholic, you know, after the fact. But that was with people that he was close to. But he would, you know, he would just come by, um, you know, every afternoon. And kind of okay. Here's what we're doing this evening, and you know, and the, you know, the light show was behind the Velvets and all that. And um, and th- and he introduced me to the guy who was helping him with this, uh, Rudy Stern. Mm-hmm. And Rudy um, is the one that you know, kind of took me under his arm for a while. I was there. I had no place to stay. The Velvets let me crash at their place, you know, so I had a place to sleep. Um, and Rudy would introduce me to, you know, some of the, you know, stars
0: that yeah, showed up. Right. I didn't who, who know who by? any of them were. Did well, you remember? You probably didn't know who they were, so it wasn't as impactful. Yeah,
1: the only thing that registered with me was um, I, I knew Allen Ginsberg's work, and his partner was, um, I think, also a poet, Peter Olavsky, and I remember meeting Peter, who was quite a gentleman, Um now like you say there was others but artists other artists combined. i don't
0: know it was more writers actors celebrities it was just
1: whatever the pop underground scene was in fact i think what andy represented was at the antithesis of mainstream pop Mm -hmm. i mean he was kind of shunned you know by uh you know Lichtenstein and uh you know the whole crew really that was showing with uh Leo Castelli. Yeah, well, and they he was just... even buying their work. Yeah. I mean he was a compulsive collector he, yeah, early on of the of his peers and they still just kept him at arm's Did, length
0: because they thought he was more an illustrator and They just... thought he was
1: too fey. Yeah, okay. Even though a lot of the people who were practicing pop artists were gay, he was Yeah. Even out there beyond where they were, comfortable. where they yeah, where they were exactly, they yeah. weren't comfortable with yeah, his style.
0: Right. So you do that in '66. You go back, you get to your degree. Right. So you have this now in your background, in your head, and what you've experienced well, and seen, right? And then yeah, see, you go back out to New York. Well, there's
1: other things, yeah, that were mentoring okay. to me. Again, I'll come back to my roommate in Kansas City while he was there, uh, this Stanley Whitney. Uh, he got into a uh, summer scholarship program at Yale and so he studied with Philip Gustin uh, for that particular (laughs) summer and then my other roommate was a guy named Don Christensen his older brother had gone to graduate school at university Indiana University and gone on to become one of the first color field painters Dan Christensen and he was showing with Andre Emmerich and so those were that, so we looked to Dan as like, wow, here's a kid that came from North Platte, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd gone to Kansas City, and he was valedictorian. Then he'd gone to you know graduate school in Indiana, and then he took his career mm-hmm. on to New York, and he met I think it was David Whitney, uh, who was a prominent gallery owner, in a pickup football game, and David Whitney picked him up, and then he ended up with I mean, you know, phew, he yep. was made. Right. And I remember specifically. Don, his younger brother, telling me that, you know, Dan was making fistfuls of dollars and hanging out at St. Adrian's and um, Cedar Bar, all the famous art bars. And um, he bought a uh, brand-new black Cadillac convertible, and he drives it back out to North Platte, Nebraska, to see his folks and jumps out of the car and says, Hi, Mom, I made it. And I used that for a title from one of my uh-huh. serographs, you know, with Ann right. and the Rolls Royce, and it right. sat, I know the license plate says Hollywood. Yeah. And I titled it, Hi Mom, I Made It. That was my tribute to, uh-huh. to Dan Christensen. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was such a great. So he crashed the Cadillac on Long Island, you know, within yeah. months after yeah, that. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, so uh, my goals were I, I really thought about going to graduate school because Stanley had gone to Yale, and then he'd gone back and been accepted again on a full scholarship to graduate school there, and uh, I knew there was no chance for me, because I had never gotten an A in my uh, major painting. Yeah. So I just skipped that and just you went to New carry, York and You sit. couldn't
0: go to yale and get in with no
1: and then everybody including my wife she ended up going to yale and getting her graduate degree and then i met all these artists you know chuck close richard you go right down a who's who of you know the great artists from the last quarter of the century and they're all from yale you regret not trying that Uh, i don't regret not trying it because i knew i couldn't do it i mean i wouldn't have that door open to me i resent the fact that i couldn't (laughs) get into yale but i did have one kind of uh, you know, F.U. moment was uh, my second solo show in New York. Um, I was 24 when I had my first show, the next show is was 25, and um, uh, Ed Pillsbury was head of the uh, art history department at Yale, mm-hmm. he comes in and buys one of my paintings. Uh-huh. And I don't know if he was for his personal collection or whether it went to Yale University or not. You know, I would've just been graduating from Yale with a graduate degree, Right now, this spring, when he bought that (laughs) painting. So I didn't get to be a student, but I got a painting in the collection. I think that'll work. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that solidified in your mind you were good enough. Right. And so how long did you stay in New York doing your thing? Um, And who was your first gallery by UAE? You said your first show was at 24, which is really young. It was... um, I I did a love show at the two friends of mine
1: across the street and that was in 1971. I was 23 and I just had started making Western
0: paintings. That's when it began, right then? Yeah. When you started doing kind of this pop sensibility. Did you consider it to be pop art, pop sensibility at that time?
1: Well, I knew that when I um, had made a decision to make Western art, I was going to do it in the only way that was authentic for me and that was to be based on black and white movie stills, even though I had a stepfather, you know, who was a TV cowboy. But again, that's kind of consistent with Hollywood cowboy. And I'd grown up, you know, those years, those formative years in Lander, Wyoming, I'd been to a bunch of rodeos. I didn't really hang out with any of the ranchers or cowboy kids Mm -hmm. then, although we had horses and cattle growing up. Mm -hmm. I just didn't consider myself a cowboy. Yeah. And at that time, nineteen late sixties, nineteen seventy, I'm thinking this is redneck, right wing. I don't want to know these people, but I knew that if I started making these paintings based on black and white movie stills, that I was going to alter the direction of where whatever contemporary Western art could be. Yeah, because nobody's doing that, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing like that. No, like I mean that. it was that's seventy one, and I knew, with. and I knew by then there is. Because I started paying attention historically to other Western painters, uh, as well as the films. Now I started to become a real student of Western films, which I hadn't really been. And we're talking 30s, 40s kind of films? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 30s, 40s, 50s. And, um, oh, what was my point? Um,
0: So this was the direction you felt you were going to take other people? Oh, and I knew as an
1: alternative there was the CAA. I had now become familiar that there had been a group of a more traditional, you know, Western approach painters who had formalized themselves as a group in 1965, mm-hmm. and by 1971, uh, I was still um, subscribing to um, Arizona Highways, and I think it was around 71
0: or 72. Boom! I see Fritz Shoulder. I was about to ask that because he does his. Indian series starting right about 1970.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, he's before me, but not in New York. He's showing in New Mexico in 1967. Right. And then with Elaine Horwich. And so his first exposure really was through Arizona Highways as far as New York went because that's where I showed and that's the only group of artists that I knew. But that caught my attention because I could see the Francis... Bacon oh, influence, yeah. not nah, big time. Wow, here's yeah. another contemporary a, guy, yeah, in a native sense. Yep, yeah, and I really weird. liked what he was doing. And then, also, uh, to get back to your question who started me? Um, I of that first show I did in my loft before I had a gallery, Ivan Karp, who owned O.K. Harris, bought a paint of mine, and he was really interested in my work, but he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't show it because they had another artist, John Clem Clark who had also by that time become a mentor to me and for me justified my projecting images, tracing them and doing this flat, you know, paint by number system, mm-hmm. if you will, which I still to this day do. And John was doing a variation of the same theme and um, uh, Ivan thought that we were too close mm-hmm. in um, uh, yeah, uh, philosophically subject. or yeah, everything. Um so he pushed me to Warren Benedict Gallery, which was one of his collectors who decided to get in the business for himself. Now, simultaneously to that, I was going to all the shows that I even had, and I saw uh, a show of Luis Jimenez, mm. and then another show of Luis Jimenez. So now I knew There's
0: something I had out peers. There. Yeah, and well, Was he doing painting at that point or sculpture? No, he was doing sculpture. Yeah.
1: Uh, He was, you know, I mean, it wasn't, you know, exactly yet what he would be. That had to be an eye
0: opener because they have that very much that pop sensibility. Absolutely. (laughs) So we, by
1: default, became the grandfathers of pop western. Yeah. Although we weren't formal, we didn't actually hang out or think, you know, or formalize that notion. We just, on our own
0: individual paths, kind of started. And did yeah. you meet and talk to these guys later? Huh? Oh, yeah. yeah, I became I really son.
1: good friends. I want to say really good friends. I got to know Luis. I thought he was an angel of a guy. Mm. I mean, Everybody was, says that. Oh, God, what a, I mean. Yeah, what a yeah, loss. <laughs> <laughs> what, yes. <laughs> and I, mean, you could, I couldn't even get close to trying to be the gentleman that he yeah. was. I mean, I would just follow on the floor and give up. and say, like, God, Luis, <laughs> <laughs> you're a better human being <laughs> than I. Um uh, Fritz was a whole different story yeah. I mean we ended up trading paintings and unbeknownst to Fritz I was also buying and selling his work I would never have told him yeah. that I was you know selling his stuff in the secondary market he would have gone through the roof he was uh, I don't know, <laughs>
0: impossible but <laughs> <laughs> a fantastic painter yeah and you guys showed at Elaine Horowitz yeah, we did. together, right? Yeah,
1: and we did one museum show together in Midland, Texas. And that was a big deal for me and the fact that he would even consider trading art because he wouldn't he kept all the artists in the Southwest at arm's length. Mm-hmm. He would only hang out with Andy Warhol or somebody in New York, anybody that, you know, was of a higher stature than himself. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be caught dead at any party, at any he wouldn't show group shows. With anybody out here.
0: Yeah. In the southwest. Yeah, he uh, I think Warhol actually did uh He did a double and, portrait. Yeah, a double portrait and but Fritz he, commissioned it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. That's how it happened. I get it. <laughs> well, good marketing on his part. Yes. And if Warhol was willing to do it, my guess. Oh yeah. You ever regret you well, didn't get Warhol to do one of you? <laughs> well, what I regret now was the fact that I bought Warhols and I sold them.
1: I didn't oh, keep yeah. them. That was dumb.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you're doing what you're supposed to be doing now. <laughs> right. Yeah, Shoulder would come to the gallery here. He liked Dixon. So yeah. So that makes sense, too, that he might have seen a thread from what you do and what Dixon did. He really liked.
1: Well, your... he at least had some appreciation for the fact really? that I was a contemporary Western here. yeah and the fact that we did a joint museum show together that was that spoke volumes to me he didn't give me any negative grief, not ever um and i didn 't try to get into his space too mm-hmm. much. I just you know w- whatever kind of dialogue we had was fine and um i didn't push it yeah beyond well, it's that.
0: completely different what you guys did i mean
1: well, just the way he lived and the way who he wanted to be around yeah. and all that was completely different and the people different.
0: that he you know Wayne Tebow was his Kind yep. of mentor and Gary Condas and yep. those guys are just in a clear And name. Nathan Oliveira. Yeah, Nathan Oliveira, who's one of my favorite painters. Right. Yeah, and you see that. Yep. But yours has a different sensibility, completely different sensibility. Well, than Fritz, yeah. Yes, than Fritz. Absolutely. Yeah. So you do uh, your first show at 24, you do another yep. one at 25. Yep.
1: And then I did a show in Brussels, uh, Belgium, and because of my fear of traveling, Uh, on my own, I didn't go to the opening, I was the first American artist not to go to this gallery. I ended up selling all but a couple of the pieces, but, uh, and I also was being represented in Paris, I had a gallery in Milan, and I didn't take advantage of any of this stuff, and eventually my career just collapsed in Europe, as it should,
0: I wasn't there to promote it, I wasn't there to help it. And and so, Looking back as an older artist who just came back from England last week doing a a show for art galleries, if you had it over to go, I take it you would have gone and gone to those shows and put in the FaceTime and yeah, I probably would have.
1: But on the other hand, you know, now that I have a partner, you know, and Rebecca who um, really takes all the fear out of me traveling and you know makes all the arrangements. I'm glad that in a way that it's happening now. I like the idea that my career is on the ascent in my 70s as opposed to like a rock star right you know who's already had a great career and you're done at
0: 35. Yeah. Unless you're Mick.
1: Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> or there's Paul. not or there's not too many of us there yeah. are those guys. Yeah.
0: But you've had a you've had that career the yeah. whole time. you have the entire time. Yeah, you know there hasn't been a time. I've had here. ups
1: and downs, but yes, I've had an, an career. Yeah, we're almost at forty nine years. Yeah,
0: no, for sure. <clears throat> so when when you get back, well, you don't go to Europe, but you do all these European shows, and they're successful. It's, at, yeah, took for a while yeah, they were, and, and then, then it so what off. happened? At what time frame did you go? Okay, I need to do something different. Well, those th- those doors got shut
1: because they just said
0: and then i and did they shut them because they weren't selling or because yeah eventually they just weren't not enough to make it worthwhile exactly okay
1: and um then i couldn't show in new york anymore for the same reason i mean it was kind of like flip the page who's new flip the page you got it and uh and i you know my work wasn't mature yet i mean i was still up and down and i
0: um you're like not hardly 30
1: right yeah, no, I'm not 30 yet. Yeah. And I'm already washed out of New York. <laughs> but you by did the make I missed, a lot of money at that time. I did. <laughs> yeah, and I spent it well. I bought yeah. property in uh, inside Teton National Park. Yeah. Um, Built a log cabin there. So I came out full time to Arizona and Wyoming um, right after I turned 27, I think, hmm. 28. And then I met Elaine Horowitz. So I got another jump start, you know, the, the, the second resurrection of Shank's career. And what Alain. year would have
0: that been that you met? Seventy. And going.
1: Well, I came out west in seventy five permanently, hmm. and I think I, I met her uh, in seventy spring of seventy six.
0: That was a great time to be in that.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I could see there was. You know, now, I mean, Luis was all over the place. Fritz was the giant yeah, was Native American. It, yeah. yeah, he was killing it. So um, Elaine was hesitant about my work at first, but she had an opening that Paul Jenkins, for whatever reason, couldn't make a date that he was supposed to, and it was an April 15th to May 15th, which is completely in that era shoulder season. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. everybody's gone home. Right, it's hot. So I jump on it. I take it. And I don't know how many paintings I had, 17, 18, something like that. She sells almost the whole show before June. Whoa, now I've got her attention.
0: Right, right. <laughs> and this is in her Scottsdale yes. location. Yes, yep. Okay. So I was off and running again. And is that when you met Julie Saucy? Uh Well, she came on in 1980. Okay, so she hadn't come on to the So I've yet. only
1: known her for 38 years. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Julie Saucy is the director. Right, in Contemporary Art at Tucson Museum of Art, and it's incredibly right. gifted. And we have a podcast. Go back and find it. <laughs> and we talk about Billy Shank on that podcast, too. So shout out to Julie Saucy. Right. Um, so you start there in 75 with her. Yeah. You're living in Phoenix. And well, actually, 76. I 76. mean, I
1: came in the fall of 75, and I did a show at a, a small gallery that no longer exists. I was invited to a group show, and that's where um, I met Ed Mel. What was and that gallery? Uh, Limner Gallery. Yeah, um, I've heard of it. Yeah, and uh, keeps coming up. And there was oh, Davis, Lou, Lou Davis.
0: Yeah, he could have been from Texas.
1: No, he he, from here guy. in Tucson. Different David. Um, I don't know. Um, but Ed was just coming back from New York with an illustration career and yeah. starting uh, his, you know, Western painting career. So we traded paintings, and um, so that
0: was seventy-five. You were mm-hmm. shown in Limner mm-hmm. with Ed,
1: and then I jumped over to. Um, Elaine Horwich. Elaine
0: Horwich. and uh, Ed went to Suzanne, Suzanne Brown. Brown. Yeah, they were they were together. Suzanne and and oh uh, yes, they were, they, but they were not by seventy five. Yeah, no, they had broken up and right. apparently not in a happy fashion. Right, <laughs> they were big time competitors <laughs> at this point. Yeah, and so how long were you at Lou Ellen's? No, it was Elaine. I mean Elaine Hel- um Well, <laughs> she and I
1: had a running battle over percentages and. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was her only 60, 40 artist, and that was always galling to her. And uh, so I was with her from 75 to 92, but I left the gallery four times, uh-huh. came back five.
0: And was it always over money? Yeah, And was it Nothing her else. pushing you or you pushing her? Um, or both? both? Yeah.
1: You know, uh, one of my favorite scenes was, it was one spring, <laughs> uh, it was, you know, May, it's already hot, and she was in the new location up on Marshall Way. And the gallery's dead on a doornail. And Elaine loved to, you know, start something if she had a audience. So she's got three of the gals uh-huh. that work for her there. And, I mean, they're just literally sitting there doing nothing. And I come in with this uh, friend of mine who I'm, <clears throat> you know, buying prehistoric pots with. And we're going go up to go up the highway to New River uh, to, to look at a small collection. And so we walk in. And I can remember the sun was late in the sky. It had to be, you know, close to five o'clock. And Elaine starts in with, so what are we going to do about this, you know, 50-50? It's got to be. And I grabbed the desk and then I... Go into an epileptic seizure and fall down <laughs> on the floor and just writhe around and stagger back up. And I turn around and walk right back out the door. Never said a word. <laughs> she never brought it up again. <laughs>
0: that was the last time. Uh, that, brought- that said it all. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah it was fun I mean
1: I had the gals in hysteria I mean mm-hmm. even Elaine was speechless she'd never seen me throw an yeah. up the left seizure before but I used to practice that with a cousin of mine when I was in high school he taught me how to do that just
0: for those moments when you need it right?
1: well yeah I used to be able to get out of Spanish class because ah. I'd have a seizure every once in a while in the mornings my crew would take me out we'd run around the halls and try to break loose and go play whatever so,
0: so why did you leave in 92 with her
1: Um, no, I didn't leave. She died. Oh, that's when she... God, is it really? I think it was ninety-two. That was later than that, I think. Was it? I don't
0: remember. We need Julie here. Yeah. But something dramatic happened in the gallery. It was the gallery, not you. And
1: I actually was with the gallery for a while after that. But, you know, the momentum... I knew that, you know, the day she died, I said, oh, my God, an era... Is ended.
0: yeah well she was the driving force no doubt and but, were you uh, showing in Santa Fe and yeah I was showing Phoenix, in and Palm Springs yeah, yeah. okay all
1: yeah them. and she had Sedona but she was pulling in you know things were definitely uh, sliding backwards a little bit by the early 90s for her it, it didn't have the impact yeah well the,
0: that the 80s did the, yeah the 80s was The 80s was just that was a time frame of you sold everything yeah
1: you know just everything my income from the middle 80s along with the pottery uh, business, if you do it by inflation, I was making a million three in today's dollars yeah. a year. Yeah. Then I I don't get close to that now. <laughs> so, I mean, I was doing pretty you well. get close. Yeah, I'm close, man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you get close. <laughs> Not in inflation so, dollars either. Right. <laughs>
1: So, um, And you're taking all fantastic. that
0: money, and you're buying art, too. You had a great art collection. Yeah, you do have a great art collection, yeah. and Molesworth Furniture, and how yep. did you get into the Molesworth thing? That's a very um, interesting thing. Well, because
1: I had the log cabin that I was building uh, you know, from when I bought that property. I bought that property in right. 1970. And that's in Jackson. In, in Jackson. Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, we first built um, a log cabin for my mom and my now next stepfather. And then we had a guest cabin we built, and then a shop I mean it was a compound, and then we built a studio for me, and then we started my um log cabin in nineteen I was probably in seventy eight and seventy nine moved into nineteen eighty so because I love um you know indigenous materials like in the southwest uh, it's going to be rock and adobe up there. it had to be log mm-hmm. and rock, and I wanted indigenous furniture, so I was Already collecting, um, you know, ranch furniture, although it was rougher, cruder stuff. And then I began to hear the name Molesworth. Mm-hmm. And there was literally nobody dealing him, there was no market. And it took me 15 years before I found my first piece of Molesworth furniture to buy.
0: Because it was... there was
1: nobody buying it, selling it until Terry Winchell yeah, showed no. up. In 1990.
0: Was that because nobody wanted to get rid of it or that just no one had made a market for it? Nobody
1: had made a market. Yeah. Terry was the first... I mean, I'd given up... I'd even dr- driven by that time to Cody not even knowing <clears throat> uh, where his uh, Molesworth shop was or the fact that he'd already sold it to one of um, you know the guys that were working for him. What was his years? What
0: was Molesworth's time frame of making
1: parts? Well, he... Um, 1931 is when he started making distinctive, you know, Molesworth, what became with his signature style. But he sold his business in 1960 to Paul and or Don Einman, but they were already doing parallel works that were knockoffs of his stuff. Um, He died here in Tucson, I think, in 1977.
0: Molesworth, you mean? Yeah. So that big furniture that I got out of that estate that looked just like Molesworth last week and dumped? Wasn't his What could have been his. No. What are you talking <laughs> yeah, about no, and <laughs> you get a collector who's like what <laughs> right. And Molesworth furniture will sell at the higher end of what? Two hundred and fifty thousand? Yeah. Yeah. For a uh, piece. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh just to give you an example, club chairs which seem to drive the market more than any other particular type of furniture. Is that
0: just because they're usable?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, when I first came into the market, they were already at like, you know, four and five and 5,500 and I, oh God, that's a lot of money to pay for a piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. is. (sighs) So, but I jumped in and I mean, there were plenty of pieces that were less than that. And then I remember, I, you know, I wanted to get really quintessential club chairs, which would be carved panels on the sides Mm -hmm. and the burl, uh, on the sides. And they, you know, they started going to eight, to nine thousand, and ten, and twelve, and I sat on the sidelines, and finally, I think it was seventeen, and I'm still occasionally getting some, but boy, then they went to twenty six to thirty on average, and now this year they went at auction uh, in New York at Sotheby's in April, um, and they were going over fifty thousand.
0: So would you buy at that level, if it? Well,
1: just before the auction, I dumped another ninety thousand into Molesworth with Terry yeah. a week before the auction, and my net worth, just on the furniture I already owned,
0: yeah. went
1: up five hundred and twenty thousand that day, <laughs> <laughs> and then another chair, Molesworth,
0: yeah, in club Denver. chair,
1: yeah, sixty-eight thousand. Yeah, I saw that. It's like. Wow, I like this.
0: <laughs> or time to get out. <laughs> or hold.
1: <laughs> Just not buy.
0: Yeah. Well, you like it. You use it. It's I in do. your house. Yeah, it's we use it. It's we everything. live on it. Yeah. Yes. It's packed with mold. Yeah. Earth. I love to and shank p- too. It's yours too. Yeah. You, you've made some great furniture. That's true. Furniture. But
1: I love to tell people we have these, uh, you know, uh, museum groups come visit the house and the studio and all that, and when I take them into the kitchen, I say, you know. It's really great to sit down at this little kitchen table with these Molesworth chairs, open the paper, have a cup of coffee, and know that my net worth went up at least another nickel today, and I did
0: nothing <laughs> because I'm sitting in a Molesworth I chair. You're in a Molesworth chair. <laughs> I like that. And you think a lot of that market is driven by the homes in like Wyoming and uh, Montana, and they want to have. Yeah, those but it's kind also
1: in Hollywood. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, there's. Definitely some, uh, um, okay, Bruckenheimer. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry Breckenheimer mm-hmm. was, I don't know that he actually owns any, or he got uh, replicas, but they were really interested, um, Alan and Christy Horn. Horn. Yeah, both uh, those individuals have great taste. I met Christy at, at a Molesworth auction in uh, at Christie's in New York in 1994, and she had done her homework. She had, uh, you know... A, an assistant with her and they were doing longhand notes on the condition of every single piece they were interested in. There was 415 pieces. So I hung out with her off and on during the day before the auction. So then the next morning I get back together with her and she, she says, well, I gave me a budget of $550,000. Well, that should definitely be able to get you yeah, some a furniture. Of nice. And she didn't like the prices as they were going and we were at the back with you know all the chairs in the aisle, and at one point I mean we were so disappointed that the prices were going so high, I just started raising my paddle to mm-hmm. start every single item. Didn't even yeah. matter. I didn't even look at the catalog anymore because I knew they were going. You go just wanted to bid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Christy didn't get anything, and I was impressed with the fact that she had the wherewithal. Yeah, to you know it. to do anything, and she just thought, I'm not going to be an idiot. I'm not going to just you know. You know, throw this money out the day. Well, and ultimately, of course, it wasn't throwing it out the window. Yeah, but, but you I do loved do, her restraint. I you respected do have to that.
0: do that at whatever level it is at that point in time. I think so. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think any professional or any serious collector sets their limits. It's okay. You can go a little high if you have to. Right. But the main thing is trying not to get into the emotional, you know, ego-driven. Right. I gotta have it in bid. And I think it's even easier now with the internet. Though it may not be something you do, but it's really easy to just go bid, bid. Yeah. And to I, so to, I don't and to let it get away from you. Re- Rebecca really does
1: she bids I mean, this sounds maybe a little decadent, but there was one weekend in uh I'm not sure, uh late November. Maybe it was November tenth. There was a painting of mine that came up at a small auction house in New Jersey and it was a good early uh, rodeo piece. Simultaneously, there's four pots that I want to bid on at Leslie Heinemann in uh, Denver. Also, I'm driving to Tempe, Arizona to bid on another best collection of uh, memories, black and white pottery, to come on the market. Mm-hmm. All of it documented, all of it in a book. And there was a fourth place that we were Oh, then there's Jerry Peters' auction Mm -hmm. in Santa Fe. This is all the same day. And I thought, this is insane. We don't need to buy anything. (laughs) But I've got her going to bid at Leslie Hyman on the computer, as well as bidding on the painting in New Jersey. And I went to physically bid on the the memory spools because there was a, more of them and a wad of them and I wanted to see the condition. Right. So as I was missing on every single piece, I called back to her, I said, okay, you got more money to, you can, here's your, right. I gave her originally a $10,000 limit on the shank and I said, go ahead and take it higher. Yeah. But by the time I called her back, it had already sold, but it, you know, it had gone at fourteen five yeah, or something like that. It, anyway. But she did manage to get. Two of the pottery pieces at the, the Hyman. But that's that's
0: crazy. <laughs> well, you have an addiction. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the reasons you paint, because yeah. you to fill your addiction. I mean. Been, I love art. I it's been very it. few years in our 30 years you haven't owed me some kind of money for that, something. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's really yeah, true. No, it is. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's what Richard Lampert says. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Well, you know, that's how collectors are. Real collectors. Yeah. Right. That the art, whatever it is, it's not the money. You get the money, and all you care about with the money is to go get more art. Right. Because it fulfills you in some way. and yep. There's a certain type of imagery I know that you like. I've seen it in your houses. I've watched right. you over the years. And, uh, you know, it should have a name, you know, Shank Imagery, because <laughs> I know when I see it. <laughs> well, specifically,
1: the paintings that I buy, whether they're my peers, You know, or historic painters. I'm specifically interested in those paintings that I think I can learn something from, that I can expand my own painting universe. That's why I buy them. When I get frustrated, you know, with passages in my work, and I think, how could I make this better? And I just go to my books or to my collection. Yes. Well, they did this. This is how they resolved that. Right. And what the other great beauty of it all is. I can drag that painting off of a wall in my house, and I can put it right there in the studio, right next to me, so I can just absolutely deconstruct it, reconstruct it, and
0: yeah, you can see how they laid down the paint and what yep. they did and how they comp- composed the thing. Yeah,
1: and just to, I mean, I've you know, like Ed Mel for years, I was obsessed with how, in God's name, did he get this huge, deep space? Aside from the fact that these these dramatic clouds, right. I remember calling him up one time after I'd come back from Wyoming. <laughs> I said, "Where are you finding these clouds? How do you do this?" And I raced down to his studio. I said, "Let me see your slides." And yeah. He shows me his slides. And I, well, wow, geez, these look just as boring as mine. You're inventing all this stuff. Whoa, <laughs> this is way cool. It's
0: true. You use it as reference, and then yeah. you go from there. Yeah. And you, John Moyer's, would be another <clears throat> person you have and yep. Dennis Siminski. Yep. Logan Hegez. And I'll
1: tell you, another guy I want more of is Glenn Dean. Glenn Dean. Glenn is just... Yeah, I got uh, a killer one more, out there I right now. I saw it.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I saw it's it. It's fantastic. <laughs> that won, like, a major award, too. I don't <laughs> right. know if you knew that, but it was the best of no. show. At the Idol Jorg. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic one. Wow. Movie. Yeah, no, it's an important thing I'm happy to have it.
1: Uh, well, he has come such a long way. Uh, I mean, I, I've known... I met Glenn at the same time that I met... Um, Logan and we bought three landscapes and I kept bugging "Um, Dean um, you know why don't you put figures in these things he had little figures make them big but I think everybody I can't take credit for the fact that he started making you know bigger more dramatic iconic figures but there was really a time when he had a fear of not being able to do that successfully
0: yeah I understand that
1: and I really appreciated his honesty in saying that. And boy, he got past it.
0: Oh, well, he got past in, it. In spades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's really gifted. <clears throat> oh he's one God. of those individuals that... And I, was, I started representing him, I think, when he was like 25 or 24. Really? No, maybe 24. Yeah, I saw him really early on and said, oh, my God. I'll tell you what else I, guy?
1: I like about him that really speaks to me is the minimalism yeah. of his work. Yep. I mean, like the painting you have right there mm-hmm. right now... It's just one female figure, and here's the horizon line down here in the lower portion of the painting, and the rest is just sky.
0: It's gradation of sky. And, it, very, and you know, that's
1: a really tough way to make a painting. Yeah. When you're throwing out tons of information. Yeah. I mean, it it's, it's reductive. Yeah. It's minimal. And man, is it powerful when it works. And
0: do you find you do that and somewhat? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I get paintings, I think, oh, this is so cluttered. I just threw away. A painting I started after I came back from, you know, seeing a zillion paintings at the Louvre and all these historic, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th century paintings. And I got this notion about, I want to try to to get all these foregrounds and the figure in shadow without doing a silhouette, which is what I've done in the past, and make your eye go back to hit direct light and make the drama work that way. I had this thing so cluttered up, I just
0: (laughs) And so, what do you do with a bang like that? Kill it. But do, yeah, but do you just scrape it? No. Or are you literally no, just? No, no. I
1: t- throw it. I tear it off the canvas. Yeah, you
0: destroy the canvas. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I can't have because everything I do is so flat. I don't want to have
0: any. Oh, yeah, uh, I a could ghost, see that. Yeah, because you know, it line. would. It'll Unless week. that could be very interesting. It could, but not for me. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to go that creative <laughs> route. No. Well, you know, it's interesting. Now I've been representing you for you know 25 years. I've watched your progress. You're hitting it like on all cylinders. You're hit. You're, you're painting the best you ever have. I would agree. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why do you think that you're? Well, I think is it I just, do know the just got,
1: do, Yeah, I want to know that. I, it's because um, I went through that really dark period from about 9, 2000 to about 2008, and then when I came back to Western painting, and as I've gotten older, I've started reading the text. In art books to know about these people's lives. I'm always, always looking at art books. I'm always looking at magazines. But after I got out of the business of buying and selling.
0: Yeah, when I said, tells you to get out of the business yeah. and start painting? Because <laughs> you're a great painter. <laughs> well,
1: as I've really been more yes, focused, focused. You're focused. I'm way more focused. Yeah. And, I, and Rebecca is like a buffer for all the distractions. I literally don't even get very many phone calls, or sometimes none at all during the day. Or I have my phone turned off. Yeah. And I think with the accumulation of what I've looked at and studied and continue to, and then spending the time that I do in the studio, is showing up. Yeah. It's just, that it's absolutely... Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Everything's better. <clears throat> Compositions are more interesting. Yeah. Colors are really great. You've hit a different level on your colors for sure. I have. Um, yeah, there's something there that I've... I mean, I've seen it in the last five years for sure. Yeah. And... Uh, Right now, it's just crazy good.
1: Yeah, and I've set the bar really high for now that I understand color better. And I, again, I'm going to come back to Logan, who, um, because of his palette and the way he has this, en- what I consider enormous restraint, mm-hmm. but somehow still, uh, you know, I mean, they're just great paintings. Yeah. And I've tried to imitate those kinds of uh, palettes on occasion. And I've just learned I, I, the way I use color, the way I mix color i know it's entirely different here's another barometer that um i've been working with michael rayburn um w- w- building serigraphs since 1978 uh, ed has been with him uh all those same years and uh, i was just commissioned to do a set of four different <clears throat> serigraphs uh for the gallery in england and michael um after i had you know drawn all these I'd also give him to the original work so he could have them as a color reference. Well, he knew from past experience, I used fewer colors and when I kn- wanted to change value, all I did was throw in more or less white. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know what you're doing now, but these colors don't translate the way you use to mix colors. You're throwing and it's true because I'm using all these other, I'll call sideways colors to go up and down in value. And it isn't as simplistic as what I used to do. Uh, yeah, and I now agree. Michael's going crazy because
0: he's trying to duplicate. Because <laughs> he has to match it. <laughs> he has to match it. Um, well, I think when the books are written, they're going to see these time frames and they'll see these yeah. colors and these developments. Because, I mean, I can just see it anecdotally yeah. watching you grow as an artist and what you're doing.
1: And I think that that's a good thing, you know, to oh, yeah, see that fantastic. an artist has, Jackson you know. It.
0: Yeah. He went to the more simple... Right. different colors flatter yep. all that stuff yep. and I think really artists who want to get better do that you know, I would hope so they're not just satisfied with making money they want to right. create and do something and live, leave a legacy which is one of the things I want to talk to you about because you are of all the gallery uh, artists I have by far have the most uh, paintings and museums. Are, what, yeah. are you up to like 50 paintings? 56. 56 paintings.
1: It'll yeah. be 57 in January. Yeah. Oh, and there's another one now. Uh, we're in the middle of a negotiating with um, a museum in Saratov, Russia. Hmm. They, I, I don't know how they found on me, but they're in love with what I do. It uh, makes
0: sense. I can see it on many levels.
1: Well, all I know is I'm beginning to see that the world is ready for pop western. Uh, it's unreal how much American cu- Western culture has permeated everywhere else. Sure, they love it. Netflix. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was in England at my it, 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 uh, the openings, I had just talked to one of my cowboy buddies. I sent some of my paintings, and he'd been out in Nebraska for months, and I I didn't know I knew he was on a movie set. I said, "Where were you?" And he said, "Well, I was out in Nebraska. We were doing this thing called uh, Buster Scruggs for yeah, it's Corn the Coen Brothers." brothers. It's I fantastic. said, "Oh, great! I can't wait to see it. So I'm waiting for it to come out, right? Not knowing it was on yeah. Netflix. So I go to yeah. England, and everybody I you, oh yeah, we saw that. We saw that. <laughs> what? You guys all see this huh? stuff before me? Yeah. How's that work?
0: <laughs> yeah. Really wonderful, actually. It's five vignettes and just yeah. God. It's, yeah. Now you definitely have to see it. Shout well, out to the Coen <laughs> Brothers, my favorite. Yeah." yeah. Oh, and, I, I love the work they and do. And so a couple other things I want to talk about. You're doing a show, a museum show. I think it's with the Briscoe. That's Warhol and you. Yeah, us wh- that came that.
1: down, but it's going to be traveling. Yeah,
0: tell us about that show. Um, I'm interested in that.
1: Well, you know, this is an interesting thing. For, for the first 45 years of my career, nobody gave a rat's ass about the fact that I had any connection with Warhol or any of that. And now suddenly it's like, it's the... It's the, the the lightning rod mm-hmm. it, it's the barometer it's uh, uh and it, they're writing about it oh shank knew well, shank's first blah, 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 blah. okay so they have you know uh the academics have pulled out that la- last year of warhol's work yeah the, the 87 the, 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 series, yeah 86 so the, 87 in, yeah the indians are ca- Cowboy cowboys and, and indians, indians yeah which was the You know, the last big serigraph series that he did. That's right. And really the only body of Western work that he ever did. Right. If you take out the one Elvis painting series that he did in 1962. Right, with the shooting and all that. Yeah. So now everybody's making the connection from, you know, the godfather of pop to the godfather of Western pop. Mm -hmm. And the overlap. uh, And... um, so now it's getting a lot of attention.
0: So and, is the show that's traveling, is it his 86, 87 Cowboy and Indian series, yeah. along yeah. with yours? Yeah. Those yeah. are beautiful. Yeah. I particularly like the uh, Geronimo and the John Wayne. Yeah. And the, you know, so, so are, um, they're really... and
1: there's, you know,
0: going to be a catalog
1: supposedly coming out here.
0: And so do you paint anything to try to go along with that, or do you just do your thing and it no, is what it is? No, because the
1: retrospectives for me, um, there's hardly any current work in it. And mean, it's just from early... Oh, uh, I don't know the first painting. I, I think see. in there is seventy-two. So they
0: take a whole retrospective. They it's a it's huge, a real retrospective for me. Yours and then yeah. they compare it with, because uh, I have his last. Series. All my
1: first paintings are you know right from the movie stills. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where Warhol and I overlap too because yeah. he was doing movie well, stars. Like Elvis
0: Presley, that was from or, one or of his movies, Maryland's right? Or yeah. you know right. the
1: Marilyn mean and um, Jackie Kennedy and you know all that stuff. Right. So there is that overlap. I mean, uh, Warhol did. You know, allow me since he had already done that to use movie stills. I just happened to pick Western subject matter, and he was just doing, yeah. You know, all these mainstream portraits, Hollywood people. But um, it's
0: interesting. He picks iconic images, right, mm-hmm. of the West, whether it's Geronimo or, um, you know, John Wayne, or, right. You know. but you don't do that in your pictures. In your not images. much. I've never seen you do anything with a Geronimo or a Chief Joseph. I
1: did one caption painting but it really wasn't Geronimo. What it was, was uh um Wes Studi.
0: Oh yeah. See, but that's different. <laughs> I know. Wes is alive and, and you got, know him. And I right? yes, I do. Yeah.
1: And I did him, you know, with a pair of sunglasses yeah. and I just have some cryptic, you know, message. Um I've done the is same he, thing. Has with, he seen that? Uh no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wes it's out there. I don't know if it's available. Hopefully it's in a museum collection.
1: Uh it's in um uh, Diane Stewart's collection Oh
0: yeah I would actually like to have Wes on he's an interesting guy He is so, and yeah. you
1: know here's another guy I love watching you know Wes has been in the movies for decades yep. and you know he's kind of living in the shadow more or less of other people and I thought the greatest thing that he had brought to the screen was Geronimo in 1993 all these decades later he's in this film called Hostiles
0: Yes that was and, Oh my God it, I mean out. he did a yeah. seminal Yeah
1: You know,
0: uh, uh, what do you call it? Performance, Performance. yeah. Well, my connection is Michael Blake was a good friend of mine who wrote Dances with Wolves, and and so Wes was in in the movie that Michael wrote and got an Oscar for this, you know. Well, The
1: Hostiles is as good as it is. Yeah,
0: it got really good reviews. It's funny, I haven't seen it yet. There's so much content out there now. And the other guy is
1: Christian Bale. And I love, Christian Bale, for me, is starting to rise above everybody else. I mean, that man does great work, regardless of where he's going. Yeah. And now he's going to be Dick Cheney, and he's not even recognizable, (laughs) but he looks like Dick Cheney. A
0: younger Dick (laughs) Cheney. You know,
1: his face all blown up. Uh, he must, you know. Bunny said, "God, it looks like he weighed, he gained forty pounds." I said, "No, how about a I don't <laughs> know. It looks horrible. What he, did, he That's what himself. he got to do. won not Oscar? <laughs> but the, so those, there's two great people, and this uh, British actress. I can't think of her name. Pike, uh, Rosalyn. Rosamond. Uh, she was in Gone Girl. She was in Hostiles. Oh yeah. Uh, she was good. I mean, everybody. The the, the entire casting for Hostiles. Was, I mean everything about that film.
0: So one other thing I want to talk to you okay. about—I knew we'd get there—is your championships, your 19th championship belt, right? Oh, no, oh, 16th. 16th, Sorry. Yeah. Well, you get to 19th.
1: Well, I've gotten four belt, uh, four saddles, and 16 buckles.
0: So you're a world class rodeo guy in what you do. How did you get into that, and when? <laughs> um,
1: you know, having shunned this whole cowboy life as I was growing right. up, kind of in the middle of it, and then. Sergio Leone, through his, you know, Spaghetti Westerns, bringing me back around to it, to where I confront it with my paintings. Yeah, and you did some cool paintings from those. Yeah, movies. as well yeah. as others. But, yeah. you know, then I immediately go back to, you know, what I consider home by property in Wyoming, my, yeah. my first property in yeah. the world. And I slowly get sucked into the lifestyle because of my paintings, because you're painting the
0: (laughs) the spaghetti western, the Clint Eastwood and the
1: well. Then see the last series I did before I left New York was uh, the the rodeo series um, called Silent Violence, and I had that was the beginning of me using my own slides and going to rodeos. And in that era, it was easy to just walk into the arena and just stand in front of a chute, and here comes Uh you know a saddle bronc rider flying right out over your head. You can't even do that now because of insurance. You know, reasons and So, why.
0: this rodeo series was that 84? No, no, no. What this is that? 74, 75. So really early, like, yeah. So, uh, 13 years before Warhol did any of his cowboy and Indian stuff. Stand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, really early. Uh,
1: so, then, because we have a, a local rodeo in Jackson Hole every Saturday night, <coughs> I started going down there and, um, you know, I started hanging around with some of the, um, well, uh, specifically one guy, Richard Long who was a manager of a big ranch in Teton National Park.
0: You've painted him. Yeah, yeah. a
1: whole lot of time but yeah. I would go with him when he went uh to different yeah. um ranches to go shoeing. and then when they had cattle drives. And then I told him I said, "God, I think I want to try to get down on a bareback bronc or saddle bronc." So he hooked me up with somebody there. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't it was around 75 and huh. I, you know, sign in Terrify it out of my head, I'm sure. and you know, get down on a bareback bronc. I make about a buck and a half. Poof! Yeah. And I'm blown out of there, and you know, there's Dick standing outside. You know, sitting on his horse with his you know uh-huh. arms across uh-huh. the saddle. Uh-huh. He says, "Good thing I didn't blink my eyes. I would have missed the whole thing." Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I stayed with it,
0: and I just uh... and so was that what you really first started doing? Was riding Bare back, Beerrock, yeah, and occasionally a settlement yeah, and it was
1: terrible i mean i, I was just not awful, oh, yeah, I got all smashed up, and, yeah super know, hard up. on your
0: back and your neck and all yeah. that stuff,
1: and so, how long did you do it? three and a half years, yeah, oh wow, and then I was so addicted to that lifestyle adrenaline rush oh God, and I mean, just the whole thing i was i I was envious of in a way of these young kids, they were just coming out of high school and all that and they get down on a few saddle Bronx and all that and they start making a little bit of money and you know, two or three of them just say, okay, let's pull up and we're gonna go down the road, let's get a PRCA card and we're going pro. And I thought, wow, this is so wildly romantic. Yeah. This is like the movies. <laughs> uh-huh. I can't do that. I already have an international painting career. Yeah. I can't just go, no, oh, I'm giving up uh, give right. up my painting career. I'm gonna go- And you Roto have a, and a house maybe. and a wife <laughs> right. probably and
0: all that yeah. stuff too. So. Um,
1: and I was no good at it.
0: Yeah, you. Well, so, you were good, but not great. N-
1: no, no, no. I you was were no, really good at, no good at no yeah, good. Okay. Really, no good. Yeah. Okay. But and then they started doing this on Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays. So this became my social life. Even after I quit bronc riding, I knew I didn't want to rope. And by then I had my own horse, and I was you know helping, you know gather cattle or whatever whenever the occasion mm-hmm. arose. But I was not addicted to roping, mm-hmm. and um, so I would just go down and help with the shows. You know, I'll pull up um, the uh, cinch straps and all that, run scores for the judges. So I was always in the arena and just being a part of it. And that was my social life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't hang around with the other painters. I didn't hang around with my collectors. I just hung around with the rodeo guys. With the cowboys. Real cowboys. Yep. Yep. So um, it killed me that, uh, and eventually I sold my horse and uh, I didn't have any real connection for quite a while. And then in 93, um, I had another tragic event and the only solace was uh, was to get on a horse. And I felt, oh my God, this is keeping my sanity. So I got horses. Uh, and then it was around, I think, 95 or 96, some rancher friends of mine up at Mayan of the Valley in Jackson um, had just heard of this new sport called team penning. Mm-hmm. So they invited everybody in the county to add horses that might be interested. And so this was fun for me. And I was married, and we had three horses. And we go over there, and along with all these other folks, and everybody's got their box lunches, and there's kids running all over the place, dogs running wild, and Mm -hmm. kids running around on their horses. And they they explain what team pinning is to us. And I had... um, Philip Garraway was with me at the house, so he came over that day, and I ran into um, Kathy Wiffler, who is also uh, a plein air painter in Jackson Hall, who's had a career all mm-hmm. this time, and she said, okay, uh, the, the people who are running the show, they had the cattle, they had the cattle numbered, so now let's just do a jackpot. You guys make up teams, and you know we'll right. put in 25 bucks a piece right. or whatever it was so I made an all art team I had Philip Garraway the art dealer me the artist along with Kathy Wiffler uh-huh. we came in second I thought man I'm back in the saddle uh-huh. man I'm back in rodeo uh-huh. and I was completely addicted from that
0: point on and then it got into more organized yes. competition, competition yeah. Right? yeah and so now they have actual well now there's a national organization right. and it goes through this a whole year long kind yeah. of yeah. points you get right. points and the guy or girl at the end of the points. Well, there's the different.
1: There's different things. Yeah, different organizations. There's a, there's, and
0: it's a male and they're separate, oh, yeah. right? No, 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 no. It, does your like does Bunny compete against you? Yeah, yeah. In fact, she beat you one year, didn't you?
1: Yes. I, was, I just <laughs> remember that. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that. That was you know that is actually <laughs> pretty funny because at the time, um, they started having this masters division which was over fifty, and uh, my partner. Uh, lived two doors over, who I taught the game to, and he is really, really good. So we decided in January two thousand nine, we're going to campaign, you know, for a world championship. And I thought, wow, that's I've never thought that big before. I mean, mm-hmm. I've already been winning some buckles, and I've won all of the Western Texas and Oklahoma Panhandle novice saddle, and I mean, I was way out in front of everybody. So I'd already had a taste, mm-hmm. or good taste. And I'd gone to other shows and, you know, knocked down best money against big time open legends, mm-hmm. you know, open writers, that's the top of the line. So we started campaigning all over the, we're in Wyoming, Colorado, Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, New Mexico, Southern Utah, uh, on any given weekend. And I'm just, and there, that division alone they were doing as um, like a NASCAR point system. Mm-hmm. So high points got you qualified to get into the finals in that division. So we came out of New Mexico, qualified number one and number two. And along the way, we'd picked up this gal who was uh, from Colorado. And every time we ran into her, she worked for, it was the Ranch Sorting National Championship Series. And they're represented in almost every state in the country. So she was working those shows, but mm-hmm. she could also ride. So she was scorekeeping and all that. But when we showed up, we'd always get a ride with her. And by the time we got to the finals, I'd probably ridden with her 25 times and we'd never DQ'd, ever. I, Holy cow. So I made up my teams. You could have as many as five. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was about 215 teams that were qualified in, in the master's division. So they're going to bring back... the the top 50 for the second go. And then it comes to the top 10. And um, we got six cows in the first go, which in some circumstances would not be enough to get you qualified to come back to the second go. But these people were like lemmings flying over a cliff. I couldn't understand. (laughs) They're just D killing left and right. And um, I had two teams come back to the Jasper and I, and, and Laura, this gal from, and she was ranked number two from Colorado. As Jasper was ranked number two from New Mexico, and I was ranked number one, so as we rode, I knew that if I continued winning with either Jasper or Laura,
0: you're
1: going to win. I'm going to win the national championship, right. not them, because right. I got the points. <laughs> so, um, so I had no I had no fear. We were going to make it to the to the top fifty, right. and that at least was something. So I lost Jasper in that second round. But Laura and I got nine cows, and I said, "This is terrific." So sure enough, we're in the top ten. Yeah, I thought, God, I've at least done this. And the top ten was the lowest was thirteen cows, and the highest was twenty-one, and we were at fifteen, right in the middle of the pack. And then, as luck would have it, it's a random draw. We drew last to ride, mm-hmm. so I knew exactly what you had to do. What I had to do. It was perfect. Yeah. So he, and I'm up against. I mean. These guys, I write books about Bill Outlaw is his real name. Yeah. And other people from Arkansas and East Texas and the, one of the Leshes, which they're huge, huge. And right. I was up against the father and the grandfather. Big, big names. And so we come in last and all we need is seven cows. Because yeah. the top now is 20, 21 yeah. to beat. Right, So we go ripping in there and we just start... F- pulling cows left right left right i lost count but i knew i was going up in the ranking even if we didn't win if we don't dq right but i had no fear because i knew how to play defense really really well and finally i'm i'm spinning around and ready to charge back in and laura comes wheeling out from behind me and blocks me she says stop We've already won. We don't need any more cows. We have we had clock left. Yeah. We could have taken all ten of them. <laughs> we stopped at seven. Sat there. <laughs> World
0: champion. <laughs> she was smart. <laughs> yes, she was. She knew that you, were, you potentially could DQ. If well, you I've current. seen
1: people do it, yeah. you know, who went right past what they needed yeah. to win and just blow themselves right out of the yeah. saddle. It's, yeah. I mean, I
0: I just didn't know where we needed to stop. And so how does that have to do with Bunny beating you? In the- <laughs> well, then, the, this would be
1: 2011, and we're back in New Mexico. Huh. And we're still doing division play, and by now I'm winning every Masters in the state, in New Mexico, or anywhere we go, so I'm like the guy yeah, for These masters. are the years
0: I didn't get as many paintings, okay. Yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. out I was
1: out cowboying, nice. winning three and four hundred dollars instead of making three or four thousand. <laughs> three or four hundred is more important. So, the masters division is always run as the last division in the day, which is great because the cows are kinda of tired. So that means you can rip them for, I mean, a, a perfect cow count is 10. Mm-hmm. and So I could get in there, you know, and have teams and just, again, racking up points, racking up points, and get eight, nine, and ten runs all the time, especially with Jasper. And I didn't pay any attention to the fact that, I mean, I'm, I'm riding with Bunny as well. So she and I are sharing the same points when we ride. But she's also qualifying all these other teams, and the whole season long, she's really right behind me.
0: She in, never, the whole, in the whole state, she never really says much about it. No, what well,
1: she didn't, I no, I, she wasn't paying attention. So here we are at the finals, and I've got my five teams, you know, to yeah. go in the masters. I DQ all of them except my team with Jasper. I got a ten run with Jasper, and Bunny has got three teams qualified to come back to the short go. And so I come back and I get another perfect ten with Jasper. So I know I've got the day money. But if she keeps qualifying those three teams, she's gonna add up enough points. Oh, yeah. She's, she's gonna outpoint me. Yeah. She didn't even know it. I knew that she'd beat me. Uh-huh. God, she just stole the Masters division for the whole year. She just took it. Uh-huh. And then all these other guys and girls, you know, oh, are you mad, is she? Are you? I said, are you fucking kidding me, man? <laughs> she, I'm, it's in the family. If I don't win, she wins. You have to beat us. So there were seven buckles that were given that year, we took home five of them
0: because
1: she won one of the other divisions and the Masters, and I won the. And
0: so, do you wear one every time you're when you go out? You have one? Oh, yeah. On, yeah. So, next time you see Billy Shank at an opening, oh, you'll go, see one of go them. look down at his buckles and he'll tell <laughs> <Right>. you. <laughs> and if and so, Bonnie's there, she'll have hers on too.
1: <laughs> yes. And this one, this last one, was big for me because I've had all kinds of medical issues right. and, uh, you know, that really leaves me compromised. And I can't get in a saddle by myself yeah. anymore. Uh, without help, and yet I can still go out there. And once you're on your clock. clock them. Yep. Yep. One, and I'd love to, you know, make sure they see how much I struggle getting in the saddle. <laughs> and sometimes I drive in. T- you know, to the rodeo with a blue and white
0: handicap. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you thing. limp a little, just a little harder? <laughs> oh, just yeah, so they just play it up. <laughs>
1: yeah. And say, here, look at this wad of pills I got to take for pain. <laughs> I
0: really don't. But. Yeah, they should be looking at the horse if not you, probably. Well,
1: but I got a crippled horse now, too. Yeah. My great champion horse died uh-huh. a year ago. So this was another big reason why I I bought a horse from one of my competitors that they didn't use much and this horse has a club foot and mm. she's also got medical issues that we have to f- watch all the time because she can limp yeah. uh she's going to be shod differently we have to give her a different kind of i don't know what um not medicines but so, supplements so, i don't know so, so buy so, a
0: shank painting and help pay for a horse <laughs> right so you can paint a horse <laughs> right. oh she's in
1: my painting. she's in the newest painting I just. oh, is she? oh yeah. you have
0: to show me where you yeah brought. We'll put it we'll put it on yeah, we'll put it on the homepage for this uh, podcast.
1: She's prettier than um Bunny's horse.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, Billy Shank. I think we've covered the gamut for okay. phase one. Phase two will be who knows next year. Right. <laughs> thanks for coming on and talking to me. You're a delight. Well, Billy famous, thanks. Billy Shank. Anything you want to say before we Close it out? Uh, no, I, I've run out of words yeah, you've done for one day. <laughs> okay, let's go look at art. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> all right, Billy Shake, Art Dealer Diaries.